All right. Well, welcome to episode seven of Why Is This Good from the Naples Writers Workshop in Naples, Florida. My name is Christine and I'm here with John and Rob. Hello. Hey there. All right, so we're going to start with a story that I picked out. This is from The Aquifer, which is the Florida Review online. It's like their online publication. And I found them because I think I was submitting maybe through Duotrope. So I picked a story from them that I had skimmed across when I went to apply. And I saw this one again when we were coming up with stories for the podcast. And I, it wasn't someone, it wasn't one that I like absolutely loved, but I remembered it. So I was like, there's probably something here. So it's called The Flood, and it is by Megan Baxter. By the time the dogs completely destroyed the couch, it was early spring. The light was a little longer in the morning and the evening. The sun had some force behind it. I could turn my face to it and feel something in the sky. There was a day of rain, cold, steady rain that beat the snow down. That night, we dragged the couch and the love seat outside to the backyard, tired of living with those tattered things, tired of flat pillows and torn fabric. We had to pour gasoline on them to start the fire. We waited until it was dark. The gas burst and then snaked inside the forms in the furniture, under the skirts and up the backs, twisting along the wood inside it, slow at first and smoking, smoking horrible thick black smoke that joined the dark sky. It burnt up the smell of that winter, the animal's fur, and our skin cells, our hair. Joe and I stood back and watched it. The light from the house stretched out to meet us like an apology. We didn't touch. We gave each other space like the one or the both of us might burst into flame too. The snow melted out to our feet. The flames came through from the inside of the furniture, wearing the fabric thin and then bursting out hungrily into the air. We watched it in silence. The fire ate up everything and then gnawing on the bones, the wood, the springs, the bolts, shuddering and collapsing like skeletons in a mass grave, all the parts mixed up. We kicked the pieces that fell out towards us back into the fire. We watched the sparks rise into the black smoke pillar, following the raindrops back up, shivering wet through all of our coats and boots and hats. We walked back up the hill to the bright house, the fire laying coals behind us, gnawing on the hardest bits. The ceremony of it all stayed heavy between us. That winter had been hard, Joe had picked up smoking again, standing on the porch, just an arm's length from the door, as if it might be warmer near the house. When he had quit, I thought we might be moving somewhere good together. With each night, he shuffled in the cold, sucking on those menthols. I didn't know. Maybe we weren't going anywhere at all, because I was slipping too. I started seeing things at the edge of the light, in the shadows. My fear of driving at night was a real fear. I saw things. My death, the death of the dogs, of my sisters. Huge, dark, primal monsters made of the hills and spruce and rock. I was scared of little things, headlights in the night. I had to understand every Every sound I heard, place it, or I rocked myself back to sleep, trying to rationalize my terror. The ritual of burning the furniture felt like our first attempt at ridding ourselves of those things, casting the devil out. The house was emptied. We sat at the dining table, looking at where the couch used to be. It reminded me of when we had first moved in, all the blank spaces, and how tender we had been with each other. I picked that because I thought that was one of the most vivid parts of all this for all the imagery, like seeing the fire actually like eating that couch up. And I think fire is like something probably super common in fiction, the way people describe it. But I thought that this was a unique way to do it. It it at least felt fresh. Sort of reminded me of Jack London in a way. Kind of oh, I was thinking the same thing. Were you really? Yeah. Person against the elements. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't read anything like that in a long time, it was cool. I kept thinking it felt like post-apocalyptic, too, because they were by themselves, and she was afraid of everything. I kept thinking of um the road. Yeah. And how, even though they know that the winter's supposed to fade, like, the spring does not bring much relief. Mm-hmm. Well, she says in the beginning, I imagined that that winter was like the start of the end of days. All yes. of the good things, the extra mm-hmm. of civilization falling off, just kind of, I think, set that mood. Right. And it's kind of um weird. She doesn't really give a ton of explanation for why she and her husband are living out here in the first place. Um, so you don't really know why if she ends up hating it so much or 
it scares her so much that they ended up going in the first place. But I didn't really feel I needed that explanation to sympathize with her somehow. That was really simple, sort of like how um was the Edgar Allan Poe we read last time? Telltale. Yeah, how you're just like, you're in the plot. Right, yeah. And that's enough to... To move it forward, it's more than enough, yeah. Right, like, she just says, basically from the beginning, it's like man versus nature. It is a hard winter. Yeah. Now you're off, yeah. I noticed, too, when I read it the second time, that she uses a lot of similes and metaphors. And I think those are, like, some of the types of devices that you learn when you're learning about writing in, like, you know, middle school. It's like, this is a simile. And then everybody imitates a simile. And then I think you get to a certain point in your own writing when you decide that those are somehow juvenile, maybe because they're simple and like easy to recognize. But I thought that she did them. She did them a lot. She's a poet, isn't she? She, Yeah, she might be. It read that way. And I underlined some of them where she, like even in the bit that I read, like she talks about the house stretched out to meet us like an apology or the light from the house. I mean, that's, that's a simile, but it's done away in a way that a seventh grader wouldn't do. (laughs) It's not a concrete simile either. It's like like an apology is abstract. uh, Yeah, it's abstract, but it's um, something else about it. Well, it, it, you have to interpret both the way the house is doing that thing and how an apology would come from a house. It's not like saying the house was green, like a leaf. And you think, oh, a leaf is concrete, right? It also sort of reminded me of uh, the Lauren Groff story we did a while ago. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because it's female in nature and threatened, if that's what it is, or... and. It just has like, it feels like a horror movie sort of because of that, you know? Yeah, there's a tenseness and she's, yeah. she's almost like alone in the house. Mm-hmm. And that's the only place that really, that's the only setting. And the ritualistic burning, it's just, and you're in the woods and it had like a creature feature feel type to it that I really liked. You mentioned the fire before, but the, there's all the elements, there are a right. lot of elements, you know, there's the ice, there's water, flood at the end, it's called the flood. The burning, obviously, fire, and uh, so that kind of Jack London, mm-hmm. um, Midnight Zone. You talk about Lauren Groff's story, very nature elemental. I like, too, how it's called the flood, but um, the way she starts this, it's winter. And so you, you know there's not a flood in winter. In fact, I kind of forgot that that's what it was called until the ice melts, and you're like, oh, this is the real threat. Yeah, the idea of the uh, of their, the ice being under them at the very end of the story was tr- like... Um, Sort of trippy and weird. Uh, I had like a dream, uh, just a dreamlike uh, image to it, I suppose. Yeah, it didn't feel like a real scene. It felt like um, her worst nightmare, like she dreamt it yeah. or something. But it was an awesome idea. I was like, what the hell? Like, I've never imagined anything like that, and that's cool. Yeah, I think the closest we get is like hurricanes. And if you're, you, you live on the beach on stilts, and the ocean actually comes up. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. But this was like, it seemed like their house was the only one that might be threatened somehow. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what um, like more action-oriented her writing would be like. Because th- I, I like this a lot, but I'd just be curious to see if she does more, more like you know dialogue and scenes and stuff. But Oh, yeah, there's no dialogue. Uh-huh, yeah. I wonder if that's intentional, though, because that was part of why it felt so um, lonely. Yeah, good point. Yeah, even when you know Joe and I, the part you read, Joe and I stood back and watched it, there's not a lot of interaction between the two of them. It's mostly her interaction with the elements, mm. not the interaction between the two of them. So that uh, probably lends to that kind of lonely feeling. Right. It, like, it feels cold. I'm sure all of this is intentional, but it's it's pretty well done where you don't, like, necessarily... She doesn't tell you it's lonely. She kind of says, like, we're cut off and miserable. It's nice to see where writers are able to... um kind of take what their story's about and then show it back to you with just the way it's written. Like, whether it's with the people, there's no interaction, so it feels cold. And that sounds kind of duh, but it's still 
it's effective. Right. Because if this was me and I was living in this house and I was cold and lonely in real life, I might be like calling my mom and saying I'm cold and lonely (laughs) or calling my sister and saying I'm cold and lonely or like, you know, putting it on Instagram and whether or not she did that, like that kind of connection is intentionally left out because like Rob said, it like reinforces that whole feeling. And then it would be funny. Or funnier, I guess, if you did what you said with like internet stuff. And yeah, if if you're like, "Whoa, is me," it makes it a lot less poetic. Yeah, it's hard to take it seriously, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, she she's got her husband or her boyfriend, whoever it is, and then um, a couple of dogs and cats, and it still feels that way. Yeah, the couch prank thing was weird. I didn't see that coming. Oh, I did. As a pet owner, um, the paragraph before she talks about them just pissing on it yeah, for gross. months. I was like, "Yeah, it's got to go." That was nasty. Probably burned the whole house up too. And this person is a, not to plug this writer, but is she, uh, does she have other stuff published elsewhere too? I, I forgot to write her, uh, read her bio. Um, it's cut off on your page. I don't know. Yeah. Does, does yours mention that, John? I, I cut think off she's, that page too, did but you? I looked, looked her up. Well, yeah, I'm sure first it was looked her, her that up. I looked her up. And she had like, I thought she had some poetry. Oh, wait, wait. She was in the my, and Miss Money Penny. That's James Bond. She was in Three Penny. <laughs> <laughs> Three Penny, yeah. 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 Three Penny, which sounds cool, I guess. I think Jonathan Franzen said something about Three Penny once. That's like where it lit Not up to flattering. me. No, he said something good about it. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, usually he's... Not. Sorry, Jonathan, if you're out there. <laughs> yeah, it looks like she's got other... Um, maybe this is her book, The Coolest Monsters. Whatever it was, um, I like kind of finding people who I haven't heard of before, but who are obviously pretty good writers. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like I, too, am undiscovered. You know? There's absolutely. a lot of us out there. Absolutely. One thing I think is done well here is the... It's called the flood, right? We're all building up to that flood at the end, um, which is it's caused by the meltwater and other factors, but um, like the terrain. But in the beginning, we set up the this, this stream, right? The cabin we were renting sat on the base of a cliff covered with a tall straight blah, blah, blah. A swift stream ran between the cliff and the house, always in white water, stumbling over huge boulders. And as we go through, we see that same stream in various states of, uh, of winter and thaw. Right. So it's as if the flood is always lurking throughout. I, you, like you said, you don't always think about it. Like you said, you forgot about it until you, it came back at the end. They forgot the title was The Flood, but we're always living with that stream. And I think that's something, um, you know, when you do... I don't know, wilderness elemental things like uh, characterizing the environment in that way so that it's even something that changes and you keep seeing it over and over again it um, kind of builds up towards that ending builds the uh, the threat of it it builds the um, familiarity of it and just that feeling of where you are uh, i'm not saying this very well i like the idea though well what i'm taking from what you're saying is the idea that you know if i'm writing a story about florida and the story doesn't end with a hurricane it doesn't hurt to at least talk about the threat that the environment constantly poses i think for the most part like our stories doesn't don't take the threat of a setting or a place into into account but if you think of it as like a a real living breathing character like the setting is in this. I know a lot of my short stories. I don't. I don't insert enough of the setting. Yeah. The novel. I, I, it's a lot of setting because they're walking yeah. in the woods and stuff. But uh, my short stories it feels a lot of times like you're just in a blank room. Mm-hmm. And Me too. Who knows what's going on? It's very contemporary. <laughs> that's true. But you know, it's yeah. That's why it's so fun to read this. I loved Jack London when I was a kid. Yeah. Right. I think. Um, what's the other one? The Hatchet. Do you guys remember uh, that one? I didn't read it, but... Uh, that was like... I know of it. Jack London for like yeah, fifth graders. Right. <laughs> and, you know, Jack London for seventh graders. Anyway, but yeah, there's something um, that you can really relate to at that age because you know what nature looks like. And you you 
have had that sense of adventure, like walking through your backyard. Yeah, Lord of the Flies, I still would rank in like top 10, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's like, oh, I know what I would do to Piggy. Yeah. <laughs> on that <laughs> island. Okay, so aside from, well, it sounds like maybe we could all take away the idea of setting. I think we said, I said the same thing, at least for Lauren Groff's. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Maybe that's why I like this. But yeah, so incorporating setting more, even even if it doesn't end in some catastrophic natural disaster. And it seems like more often than not, the nature is going to either be kind of, you know, malevolent like this one, or it's going to be benign. So it's interesting to see if you can find it, or it might be interesting to see if you can find like a middle ground where it's not, it's going to get me or it's all great or something in between. That would be an interesting challenge, I think. Yeah. Even if it's just something you're constantly aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you introduce it in a new way? And I guess too, what I would take away from it is like I said, she uses these similes and metaphors like almost too much, but I couldn't tell you the last time I did that like overtly yeah i didn't notice them but i guess if they're there they're there right she does it here like on this first page it says the ice made sounds of its own it groaned it creaked and snapped brittle pops and long breaks it shuddered like a fallen tree settling into the earth there were other sounds that were harder to describe hums wavering tunes like tibetan chants that sat right between two notes and seemed to be trying to break the world at its weak parts so there's like two right there but the rest of it is um basically like ice personified mm. which is another one of those devices that i think i've forgotten about kind of i was having a conversation with um our friend james and uh we um we're talking about metaphor and how strong metaphor can be like whether or not it's better to use what's traditionally called concrete verbs and nouns rather than metaphors the metaphors can tend towards the abstract and he thought you know he was saying you know, the common advice is uh, use the concrete nouns, use the concrete verbs. That's what you always hear. But I don't know. I feel like metaphor can be, I don't think concrete's the right way to think about it. I think specific, specificity is the, oh, uh, that's is a good the way, way to think about it. Because, you know, I what I said to him was uh, a table, a table is an idea. You know, it's not a concrete thing. And there's, I don't think the idea of, con- the, the, the concept of concreteness in language is, is kind of fraught. So I think specificity is more important than uh, than concreteness. And metaphors can be very specific in, in the way, you know, like an apology isn't concrete, but it's very specific. It gives a, mm-hmm. it, it's a very um, specific kind of feeling that you're trying to imbue in the ha- for the way the house looks in that moment, the way the light reaches out from the house. So that might be something to think about as far as when we use metaphors is being as specific and not, not necessarily concrete, but specific as possible. Yeah, I think too, when we first learned about these things, it was more like I said, you would compare and contrast based on like physical appearance. And it's less concrete here because we're, we're comparing a house to a feeling or, and that's when you get like poetry. That's <laughs> when you get poetry. Sorry, yeah. poetry. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It it's does true though. Poetry. I mean, that's what poetry is. It's, it's looking at things in different ways. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Well, anything else you guys would take away from this one? Maybe not live in the winter in the woods by yourself? Yeah, it sounds like a, not a good place to have a, a cabin. Or pets. What <laughs> or about pets. veterinary care? <laughs> or a car. <laughs> what about the fish image at the end? What are you guys thinking? Oh, yeah. Um, that was her, right? Oh, that's interesting. She's sympathizing with what a shock it was to her own system to go from whatever comfort or comfortable life she had before this terrible cabin. Yeah. But the fish is dead. I, I thought it's dead, but of, it's still brightly colored, she says. There's a lot of uh, death imagery in here, too. Yeah. Like something was described as cairns. The trees, I forget where, like, I'm, I'm going to not quote it right, so I'm not going to try to remember that. But uh felt like there's a lot of death throughout. <laughs> yeah, that's winter. Well, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. So the fish being dead at the end, I thought was uh, obviously realistic, is but um, interesting too. Yeah. I guess I took that that fish at the end, like that was that was a metaphor too. So she's dead. Well, I, I guess it was her kind of realizing that. That's what it must have been like for the fish. Like that's how jarring it was for the fish, and and the change in scenery killed the fish. And she, in a lot of ways, felt hollow herself, even though she was still alive, like vibrant, like this fish. I don't know. I thought that was obvious, you guys. <laughs> what? Well, I, mean, are, I, didn't, I didn't pick it up, but it makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't make. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading way too. No, it makes sense. To me. I mean, death doesn't have to be death. It could be change, right? Yeah, at least in this case. Great. I buy that. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys.